One of the most recent refrains that we hear often from the mouth of our two-year-old is, hard to wait. He says it with solemn resignation, talking about anything from red lights while we're riding in the car to the checkout line in the grocery store, hard to wait. He's right. It is hard to wait. And it seems like right now we're doing a lot of waiting and watching and waiting. We've been waiting to see how Congress would deal with the American automakers. We're waiting to see how our pensions and IRAs will fare. We're waiting, to, waiting for the real estate market to bounce back. We're waiting for the economy to show some signs of life. We're waiting and waiting to see if our jobs will return. There's some amount of idealistic promise in the thought of a new administration. We're waiting for that, too, to see if the hope that we've so often heard about will come and soothe our worried minds. If you're anything like me, you're not exactly even sure what it is we're waiting for or how long it will take. Unlike in the grocery store, I can't count the number of people in line in front of me and eyeball the things in their carts to estimate exactly how long I'll be there. We just have to wait indeterminate and frustrating amounts of time. And friends, we all know it is hard to wait. It's especially hard to wait with bated and fearful breath in uncertainty and in anxiety. While we're waiting... Let's turn to the gospel, shall we? The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how Mark begins. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But Mark doesn't go from there launching into the expected story of the census, the birth in the manger, the shepherds and the wise men and the sweet mother Mary. Mark skips that part altogether and goes straight into the story of the local village weirdo, John, cousin of Jesus, who eats bugs and wears hides and goes around proclaiming what? What is it exactly that John is proclaiming? Prepare the way of the Lord. What does that mean? With his words, John the Baptist is conjuring up Isaiah, the second part of Isaiah, the middle part, where God is promising evenness, comfort, and change. The people of the time who heard John's words probably would have immediately known the reference and known exactly what John was hollering about. In this part of Isaiah, the people of Israel are in captivity in Babylon. They feel broken and abandoned by God the God that they loved and that they betrayed themselves. They are lost and they are wandering and they are wondering if they will ever return to the land and the life that they love. They wonder if they will ever be comforted again. And through the prophet Isaiah, their fear and dismay is answered. We heard it in our first reading this morning. Comfort, oh comfort my people. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. 
Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God is with them. God has not abandoned them. The covenant between God and Israel is renewed, and they will be God's people forever. Comfort, O comfort, my people. John recalls these words with his ranting, and the people hearing him would have known exactly what he was talking about. But why? The people are no longer in exile. Why stir that pot again? Because this time God is coming, says John. Through the story of John the Baptist, Mark tells us that this is the beginning of the good news. The good news in Mark is that these ancient hopes from Isaiah have been fulfilled. The rough places have been made plain. The hills and valleys smoothed out just as God covenanted with the people so long ago. The hopes have been fulfilled, says John the Baptist, by the God who is coming to be among us. A God so powerful that we aren't worthy even to be slaves, but a God so deeply in love with us that he will walk among us just to be closer to where we are. But John's asking another question here, too. Are we ready for this God? Are we ready to be so beloved? Are we ready to be so overpowered by love? God is coming, says John. It is time for us to get ready. It is time to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, there are many interpretations of what we're supposed to do in order to get ready for the coming of God to be among us, all of them good and worthy. Confess, repent, ask forgiveness. Spend time in self-examination, laying our flaws bare to the elements. Pray deeply for our hearts to be turned toward what is right and good and holy. We can fall on our knees in thanksgiving and begin to understand ourselves unworthy of the grace that has come to us. Good things, all of them. There are all kinds of ways to prepare. John doesn't really give us any good indication of what it is that we're supposed to do. How do we prepare ourselves for the God that will come? How do we get ready for that which we do not deserve? What in the world can we do to get God here? Nothing. There's not one thing that we can do to hasten the coming of God to us. Nothing in the actions of our hands or our hearts or our heads will get God here. Nothing we can do will make it happen. And there's nothing we can do to stop it either. John was heralding the coming of God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. John was not making God's presence happen only making God's presence known. John was giving those of us willing to hear, willing to listen, fair warning that the world as we knew it was about to change would never, never, never be the same. 
John was instructing us to get ready for the change, but in no way did, God, did John make us think that God would wait for our preparations. By recalling Isaiah, John conjures up the remembrance that prepared or unprepared, God is coming in love. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom. John's radical proclamation that God was coming to be among us was not intended to cause frenzy or anxiety. It was not intended to raise anxiety for folks or create feelings of inadequacy among believers. It was a message of hope, hope, to a world crying out in desperate need of it. Comfort, oh comfort, my people. Do not be anxious. God is coming. God is near.